Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is Chris, your host from RimfireTactical.com, and I'm really glad you're here. My apologies for the delay in getting this episode out. Scheduling conflicts have popped up left and right, which have prevented me from getting this recorded before. And uh, we are working on getting a more consistent schedule out and try to get at least one episode out each week. As I mentioned in a previous episode, in the very near future, I will have more of an interview format, which is absolutely what I'm looking for. Instead of you guys hearing me talk all the time, uh, getting some industry leaders on the podcast is a huge priority for us. Thankfully, I've been able to reach out and make connections with a number of guests that will be coming up in the next uh, several episodes, and they range all the way from match directors to sponsored shooters, uh, as well as industry experts and folks from the manufacturing side of the industry, be it guns, scopes, lots of different things there. So now that I've mentioned all that, let's talk about a subject that has come up a lot uh, recently. And it's something that I, I really want to to dive into. And I, the reason I want to talk about it is because this is a conversation that I've had not only throughout our Facebook group, which just, you know what, as a side note, if you're a member of the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group, thank you. Thank you for being a part of that group and making it as great as it is. It is absolutely humbling to have a group such as that one where you have so many people who are interested in not only learning but helping those that maybe aren't as familiar or just getting started with rimfires. And I just want to thank you guys. If you're not a member of that group, head on over. It's facebook.com slash rimfire tactical. Join the group. There's over 3,700 members in that group, and we're adding dozens, if not hundreds, uh, every single week. And it's just a neat group. You have people that have shot rimfires for years. And when I say years, I'm not talking like five or six. I'm talking 50 or 60. Not to mention a ton of uh, people who are actively shooting NRL 22 matches. PRS style matches, Rimfire Challenge, Steel Challenge, and the list goes on and on. It's a broad group with members from all over the world, not just the United States, not just North America, but literally all around the world. And something I just want to mention that I'm so proud of with this group is I just want to say thank you to the members of the group for keeping it so classy, so professional. No, there's no bickering, arguing. None of the things that tend to happen in uh, a lot of the online forums that I see, um, of course, there's going to be some disagreements. Um, but even when we're having those conversations that are so common in in really every industry, but in the gun world, you know, it's it's almost like the Ford and Chevy you know, who's better, CZ or Savage, CZ or Tika, Marlin or Savage, Anschutz or Voodoo, Valkortsen or Kid. You know, when those conversations are coming up, um, 
It's always a civil conversation. A lot of the comments that go back and forth um, are very focused on facts, and the facts are really what stand out. Um, and and you know even when opinion comes in, which is always going to be the case when you're having conversations like this, what makes it stand out to me as such a great way to do things is the fact that um, the people who are making their case, and we all do it for our favorite, whether it's a rifle or a scope or ammunition or anything else, all of the, the conversations are so civil and, and uh, really, I, I would even describe them as professional as far as that goes. And what's really neat about it is the people who are providing input when, and answering questions when they're asked, they're able to give firsthand experience. They're not speaking from the standpoint of somebody that's on the sidelines and talking about something that they read somewhere else or something that they saw in a different forum or a different Facebook group. Nope, they're actually giving you real-world experience, and that is just so powerful, uh, especially when you're trying to, to figure something out and you're, you're just looking for the correct information. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but one of the reasons that I wanted to start this group years ago with Rimfire Tactical it was specifically because every time that I was trying to figure something out or learn something, I was having to go from forum to forum. And make no mistake, there are some great forums out there. But I was having to try to figure these things out because I did not have an unlimited budget in any way, shape, or form. So when I was making a purchase, be it for a rifle or a scope or maybe a trigger for a rifle or a handgun or even something as simple as buying ammunition in the area where I live, there isn't exactly an abundance of match rimfire ammunition. There isn't an abundance of options when it comes to rimfire rifles. Yes, most gun shops are going to have a few rifles, but it's pretty basic. You know, a couple of Savages, a couple of Marlins, um, some Henry lever actions, a Ruger 1022 or, or two. And outside of that, um, back when I was first getting started, it was really rare to even find a CZ in a gun shop. So I had to make purchases um, to the best of my ability, uh, seriously, just from learning from people online. So I mentioned all those things because putting this Facebook group together was something that I had thought about as just a way to to build a group of like-minded shooters and be able to share uh, insights. And it's what's so neat is four years later, the group, uh, which I never really promoted until just in the last six months or so. And, and in the last six months, we've grown from a little over four to 500 members up to, like I said, currently we're at 3,700. And um, most likely we will reach uh, 4,000 members before the end of the week that I'm, I'm recording this. And what's so cool about that is when I see the posts that are happening daily within the group, see the conversations that are taking place. Um, I see the, um, I don't know if this sounds a little, a little hokey or whatever, 
But when I see friendships being made from people who are in different countries, different states, um, just because of a love of, of rimfires, man, it is exactly what I envisioned, and I'm so proud of it. But anyway, um, got sidetracked there a little bit, but that's something that I wanted to say uh, and share with everyone because I truly mean it. I'm so happy and so pleased to see the direction that the group has gone. And um, I just I think that needs to be that needs to be recognized. But getting back to the original intent for this uh, podcast, this particular episode, I wanted to talk about a conversation that I have had no less than 12 times in the last week. I've had these conversations in person at matches I was a part of, I was shooting in. I've had these conversations online, answering questions in different uh, Facebook groups. I've answered this question or given my input. That's a better way to say it than answering the question. I provided input in a couple of different gun forms or hunting forms. And I've also had this conversation in a uh, a local uh, gun shop today. And that question is this. What's the best rifle I can get? What's the best 22 rifle I can get? What's the best rifle I can buy for my budget? What's the best rifle I can get to be an all-in-one rifle? One for hunting, for just going out and shooting tin cans or plinking or some local matches, um, the list goes on and on, but the question is always structured the same. What's the best rifle I can get for X amount of dollars? And the budget changes from, from question to question. Sometimes someone's budget may only be um, $300, and there's nothing wrong with that. I've been there, done it. Um, I understand it all too well. The next person, their budget may be a little, a little bit higher. Their budget might be, for example, uh, instead of $300, maybe it's $500 or $600. The next one may be, hey, what's the best rifle I can get that's under $1,000? Um, a really common question that I see pop up a lot is, what's the best rifle I can get that won't break my budget that isn't a voodoo? And as somebody that, no doubt by this time, um, it's, it's quite obvious I'm a fan of the voodoo rifles. Uh, along with several other brands, but it's definitely no secret that I'm a huge fan, but I do understand where some folks are coming from. Um, years ago, uh, way before Voodoo came on the, the scene, I remember thinking to myself, and and most likely I asked the same question, what's the best rifle I can get? What's the most accurate rifle I can get? What would you recommend as far as the best rifle to get for not only hunting, but informal shooting, occasional matches, whether it's something shot off of a bench or maybe uh, offhand silhouette, what's the best rifle I can buy that isn't in my on-shoots? Because back then, an on-shoots or an and-shoots was not in my budget. So I completely understand where folks are coming from when, when they pose the questions that way and say, you know, what's the best rifle I can get that isn't a voodoo? And so ultimately, 
what I try to do whenever I see this question pop up, and it's not just about rifles. It can be the same thing about handguns. It may be the exact same thing um, talking about scopes or ammunition, things like that. In reality, it's not just a clear cut, just a clean, simple answer. There's lots of factors that can go into it. And really, it, you have to think about all the different all of the different um, aspects of what you're looking to do. I'll give you a perfect example. In a match that I recently shot, I saw a gentleman who had a, um, a rifle. It was a CZ 457 American. Great rifle. Beautiful rifle, too. Very, very nice wood on it. But he had this 457 American. And... What was interesting about it is the rifle shot very well, and he's a good shooter, and so he shot very well. But in listening to him as he was talking about it, he kept referring to it as, you know, basically, it's the consolation prize. It's not what he wanted, but he settled for it. And he settled for it because he really wanted to get a different rifle, but that different rifle cost a lot more money, and it was going to take a lot more time for him to be able to afford it. And so he was just going to settle for the CZ for the time being. What's interesting about it is he sees himself as settling for that CZ while somebody else is looking at it going, man, that CZ is a beautiful rifle. It shoots great. I'd love to have one of those rifles. So it's all about perspective. Okay. Now in watching this fellow, one of the things, cause we, we had a nice conversation um, and watching him shoot, it was clear he's very comfortable behind that rifle. And I started asking some questions about, well, how long have you had it? And tell me a little bit about what, what ammo you like yeah, or it likes um, and, and so on. Just, you know, normal conversations you'd have with somebody at the range and really normal conversations that you would have uh, for somebody that was asking you, you know, if you could maybe help them a little bit with trying to figure out a um, a solution to you know, whatever type of, of scope they're looking for or whatever. And what was interesting to me is this particular rifle is his only 22 rifle. So he's using this rifle to shoot in the match that we were shooting in. He's also using that rifle to practice some longer range shooting because it's so much less expensive to shoot his 22 than it is the center fire rifle, which is somewhat similar that he is going to use for his local deer hunting. And also the deer hunting that he's going to be able to do in another month or so when he is going out West on a mule deer hunt. He's also using that same rifle when he does his small game hunting, whether it's for squirrels or rabbits or anything along those lines. And so what was interesting as <laughs> listening to him is I, I'm thinking of the old adage or something that I remember from years ago, I guess when I was a kid, and I'm sure I probably um, heard it in an, an old Western or something that maybe my father or my grandfather was watching. 
but the adage was basically uh, be be wary or be leery of the man with one gun. He most likely knows how to use it. And this gentleman was a perfect example of that. He can shoot that rifle because he knows that rifle and he's very comfortable with it because he has spent quite a bit of time. And so although he mentioned a different brand of rifle that he really wanted and um, just wasn't in his budget for the time being, you know, he's able to take this particular rifle and do everything he wants to do. And, and he's doing quite well with it. Is it perfectly set up for shooting from the bench and shooting the type of match we were shooting? Eh, not exactly, but it didn't handicap him at all. Is it ideal for going out and shooting some offhand silhouette? Maybe not ideal, but it's pretty darn good. Is it ideal for carrying through the squirrel woods? Again, there's probably a few rifles out there that are a little bit lighter weight or um, maybe a little bit shorter barrel, so uh, it's not getting hung up on any brush or things like that. But let's face it, it's a pretty darn good setup. So while he sees it as a consolation, I'm looking at it for what his budget would allow and for what he wanted to do with it. It's a perfect fit. And, you know, the, the comment that I made to him and, the, and what I pointed out is, look, and, and part of what he was doing is he was comparing it to um, one of my voodoos. And look, the voodoos are phenomenal rifles. Like I said, I can't say enough good about them, but I'm, I'm almost at the point where I feel like that's all I do is talk about them. And, um, you know, he was basically saying, well, you know, my rifle is, is just not in the same league and, you know, really downing his, his rifle. And I told him, so look, here's the thing. You're taking that CZ, you're taking the squirrel hunting, you're going out, you're playing with it. You're doing all these different things with one rifle. You're spending a ton of time with it. You know it inside out, you know the, the trigger, you know what it's going to do in any given scenario. I said, imagine if you take my Voodoo, which weighs almost 17 pounds, you're not going to take that to the squirrel woods. You're just not going to. And if you do, um, personally, I think you're crazy because <laughs> that's, that's a lot of weight. I don't care how strong or how fit you are. But, uh, you know, my Voodoo, Mine is built for the type of shooting that I do with it, but it is not ideal for carrying around the squirrel woods. Um, same thing for lots of other different uh, rifles. Maybe it's Voodoo's, maybe it's Onshoots, maybe it's a Cooper, whatever. I know lots of people that have some very, very nice, very expensive rifles that look incredible. They shoot incredibly well but they don't exactly get carried a lot uh, outside of taking them to the range out of fear that the wood's going to get scratched up, the bluing may get nicked here and there. And the reality is, even though it's an incredible rifle, it doesn't necessarily get used for hunting. It's basically just a really pretty rifle that gets shot at the range. And again, there is nothing wrong with that. I understand and and subscribe to that theory myself with, with several rifles. But that's the scenario that I do see play out quite often. And so once we had this conversation, he, he kind of had a different opinion of his CZ because 
He's not afraid to take it to the squirrel woods. He's not afraid if it if it suddenly comes a shower, you know, rain shower or something, and he knows he can go home, wipe it down, and uh, make sure everything's nice and dry and oiled, and he's going to be good to go. Now, I can tell you that rain scenario, that is highly unlikely where I live, at least right now, uh, because it is dry as it can be. But that conversation and a few others have really led me just to spend a lot of time thinking about this. I had someone else reach out to me that has a new CZ457. Um, it's the, uh, I believe they call it the Precision Trainer. It's in the Manor stock. Um Factory heavy barrel, uh, just a, a really nice rifle and one that anybody would be crazy to uh, not be proud of. And uh, I guess the the concern that he had was that the accuracy just wasn't quite what he thought it should be. And um, he basically said, you know, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels and, and wasting time here. And now I've wasted a lot of money on this thing. I should have just bought a Voodoo. And, you know, in reality, if if your budget will allow it and um, the Voodoo is is what you're looking to do, that type of shooting, absolutely. I'm going to be the first one to tell you, buy it. Call Paul and uh, the gang at Voodoo. Talk with them. If you don't know exactly what you want, they're going to guide you through the process. They're going to talk stocks or chassis with you. They're going to talk about triggers. They're going to talk about barrel length, contour, maybe uh, threaded or unthreaded, uh, depending on if you plan to run a suppressor or anything like that. They're going to talk with you about the ins and outs that are specific to what you want to do. But at the same time, this gentleman already has this particular rifle. It's a great looking rifle. And, you know, after a bit of conversation, um, you know, is is he sold on not getting a voodoo? No, but I don't think he's necessarily as focused on it as he might have been previously. And again, I'm I sound like I'm picking on voodoo, which is absolutely not the case because, like I said, my my love and appreciation for those rifles is well known and and uh, frankly well deserved. But I'm just using those as a couple of examples because it does come up daily. And what's interesting about it is sometimes, at least for myself, and I'll only speak for myself on this, I have uh, gotten tunnel vision in the past. Tunnel vision about buying a specific gun or a specific um, scope, and actually this is true for lots of things, cars, you, you name it. But I've almost gotten tunnel vision because I've read great things about it, I've heard great things about it, and so in my way of thinking, that is the the answer or the solution to my problem. And the challenge that I, I have with that sort of thinking is, frankly, there are lots of uh, solutions that are out there that are looking for a problem. <laughs> and so it's very easy to find something and say, I want that, and then rationalize the part you know, where you're wanting it by creating problems that may not actually exist you know, anywhere except for in your own mind. And, um, I am absolutely guilty of that. Um, I'm probably not alone in that, but I can tell you for sure. I've been guilty of that more than once of just thinking it, you know, thinking it through and, and, uh, 
I've actually uttered this phrase so often. Uh, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I will because if it helps one, you know, somebody else avoid this, it's um, it's well worth doing. But I've uttered the phrase so many times. If I could just get this rifle, or if I could just get this scope, or if I could just get this particular ammunition, I wouldn't need anything else. I wouldn't need another rifle. I'll never need another rifle if I could just get this one. And, um, you know, if you if you think very about the very specific words that I'm saying there, I keep throwing the word need in there. And, and I guess technically I am right. If I had just this one particular rifle or whatever, I wouldn't need another one. But the reality is, um, that's gonna, not going to stop me from wanting another one. And um, not only is it not going to stop me from wanting another one, it's also not going to stop me from buying another one later on because what I need right now, once I get it, it you know hopefully will live up to everything that I thought it, it would, um, which I've been very fortunate to have a lot of rifles and handguns do through the years. But there are those that just did not list. They, they didn't live up to um, the hype, I guess you could say, that I built up for them uh, in the least. And those became some of the ones where um, we won't name names, especially on this podcast. But let's just say some of the ones that um, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt and tried to give the T-shirt away to uh, somebody if they would take the rifle from me. So anyway, think about as you're looking and trying to decide on making a purchase, think about the whole package. Don't just focus on um, one specific avenue. And, and again, um, right now I feel like rimfire shooting and, uh, and PRS shooting and all that is at an all-time high. Um, it is so incredibly popular that I can absolutely see where not just myself, but lots and lots and lots of other people are um, almost in, I guess you could, you could phrase it as, it's almost like an arms race. Hey, I need to get the, this rifle. I need to get this scope. I need to get this bipod. I need to get all of these things so that I will be competitive in my local match, my uh, group of buddies that I'm shooting with, or even on a national level. Because, again, going back to the Rimfire Tactical Group, there are a lot of um, regional and national level shooters that are, um, that are part of that group. So keep that in mind. You know, think of the big picture not just of one specific thing, but look at the entire picture um, as to what you need and what you're looking for. So what is that entire picture? Is it just maybe, I don't know, is it just maybe that you want this bolt action rifle, you want it with a 20 inch barrel or 23 inch barrel, 24? Do you want it to be a certain weight do you want to be a certain weight because the type of competition that you shoot? 
has a weight limit. Do you want it to be a certain weight because you're carrying it through the woods? Do you want it to be a certain weight because you're looking for the most stable platform for the type of shooting that you're doing? Think about it not just as a brand name, but think about it as an entire package. And this is something, and I'm certainly not the most, um, let me re- let me restate this because I think I've done it before, but I'm going I'm to do it again. I am certainly not the most accomplished shooter. I am certain that there are a lot of shooters listening to this podcast and that are part of uh, our uh, Facebook group and, and lots of others that are out there. I am absolutely certain. I am guaranteeing you there are lots of shooters that are much better shooters than myself. I also will tell you 100% there are lots of shooters that are every bit as equipped or knowledgeable or able to give this, uh, this advice or talk about this as I am. I completely understand that and no way or shape or form am I trying to, to uh, present that I'm anything other than just who I am. I'm a guy that's crazy about rimfires. But a few years ago, I really stopped thinking about rifles and scopes as these individual items. And I started thinking about them much more as when I put them together, you know, I'm putting together a, um, I hate to use the word system because that seems to be uh, a, a word that's used a lot. And it's also used... Um, it's used a lot in different um, scenarios, everything from uh, people who talk about their, their weapon system because they're talking about uh, something from a, um, a centerfire standpoint and maybe it's a military application. Others talk about their system uh, because they're talking about a very elaborate um, hunting setup. But I really do think in terms of when I'm looking at a specific rifle and what I plan to do with it, whether it's shooting competition, hunting, or um, just really taking it over to the farm and having a blast uh, plinking away, I look at it from the standpoint of not only the rifle, but what optic I'm going to put on that rifle, what type of ammunition I hope that rifle will shoot. I'm also thinking about it if, as in... Uh, the terms of what type of shooting I I think I can do, not just, you know, this is a rifle I'm buying for hunting, but could I also use it for silhouette? Or this is a rifle that I plan to use, you know, shooting from a bench, but is it possible that if one of my local clubs ever starts a PRS-type match or an NRL-type match, could I also use this rifle for that? Um you know, those types of things can make a huge difference if you start thinking it through and especially when you're working on a budget. And let's face it, I don't know anybody that doesn't operate from a budget. Um, some people's budget is larger than others. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, uh, the way that that they are able to um Either you could call it justify, you can call, uh, you can call it lots of things. 
but the way that a lot of shooters are able to to allocate funds to pay for maybe a more expensive rifle or optic or both, um, you know, sometimes, frankly, I think with a lot of people, it happens more often than than you would think. They're paying for um, that new that new rifle, whether it's new to them or brand new or it's custom built for them. They're paying for it by selling off other guns or other guns and scopes and things like that. Um, I've got several, several uh, friends who have sold four or five or six rifles. And this isn't just rimfires. This is across the board. They've sold multiple rifles all to get one, um, one custom gun built. And that custom gun, they're using it for multiple things. But they were absolutely willing and able to um, justify selling maybe, um, well, like a good friend of mine uh, who's having a, a custom rifle built right now. He's having a custom rifle built in 6.5 PRC. He's going to use that rifle for... Uh, some informal competition. He's also going to use that as his rifle for hunting in the tri in, in the the uh, the tri-state area where he hunts for primarily white-tailed deer. He's going to use that rifle for some long-range varmint hunting of uh, groundhogs and I guess maybe even some some coyote hunting. And that same rifle is going to travel out west with him each year uh, for antelope, mule deer, and uh, even elk. So when he is all finished with this rifle, from what I understand, he will probably have close to, uh, between the rifle and the optic that's going on it, he's going to have in the neighborhood have about $6,000 tied up in that rifle. Now, some people will hear $6,000 and go, oh my gosh, that's insane. That's crazy money. Other people will be like, wow, I thought it would be more. And you know what? It's all about perspective, and the perspective you're viewing it from is the accurate perspective for you. In his case, he sold several, uh, I believe most of them were Remington um, bolt-action rifles, Model 700s, great rifles, great factory rifles, nothing wrong with them whatsoever. But they were in various calibers, everything from a 22-250 all the way up to a 300 Winchester Magnum. Um, he's also topping this rifle with, I believe he is going to use a Night Force Attack R, uh, 4 to 16, another fantastic scope. And one of the ways that he is offsetting the cost of the, uh, that scope is he's selling off a lot of the scopes that he had on his Model 700s, which, oh yes, are also being sold. So, his thought process has gone from a point where in the past he wanted as you know as many different rifles and as many different calibers as he could to now honing things in on a specific round that he wants to use that he can use for a multitude of things. Is it perfect for elk? Eh, some would say it's fine. Others might say it's a little small. Is it perfect for shooting competition? I hear people talk about shooting it a lot in competition. I also hear people talk about uh, the fact that 
it's um, maybe a little excessive with recoil compared to some of the lighter weight uh, calibers, maybe a six millimeter Creedmoor or 6.5 Creedmoor or a 6.5 by 47 Lahua. Um, is it perfect for coyotes and groundhogs? Again, a lot of people are going to say it's overkill. He's going to say, I've got one rifle that I know inside and out, the night force that's on it. I never have to worry about uh, it not being on and, and that it's tracking properly. And maybe he hasn't had that exact same experience with some of the, the lower cost optics that he's selling to fund it. Um, you know, he has a little bit of a unique need for the length of pull. And so this rifle is going to be custom built for him. The stock's going to be the proper length. Uh, it's not going to be uh, a little long or a little short based off of, you know, the different specs of the Model 700 versus the A-Bolt versus maybe a Ruger 77. So it's a gun that is built specifically for him, around him, and and it's exactly what he wants. So I find no fault in that. But again, he was able to, to figure out exactly what he wants. That's where uh, I, I want to to really spend, you know, or I want to, to the main focus of, of this podcast to be all about that particular thing, figuring out what you want and, and what works best for you. Now, I gave you the analogy of the gentleman that um, has that one CZ 457 that he uses for basically everything. It, it's kind of an all-around rifle for him, just you know, in, in somewhat of a similar manner to the um, the scenario I gave you with my friend who's ordering the or has is having the 6.5 PRC built. Well, the other way of going is to have different rifles or handguns if you're shooting handgun competitions, but to have different types of rifles for different types of shooting. And, you know, an example of this would be maybe you've got uh, a lightweight sporter rifle that you're using for your um, days in the woods, squirrel hunting, or just something that's lightweight that you can carry in the woods in case you come across, uh, I don't know, maybe you're not squirrel hunting or something like that, but maybe you're worried about uh, having something with you in case you come across, uh, I don't know, a rabid raccoon or something. Uh, just, you know, I know a lot of people who, um, won't go in the woods without having a rifle or handgun with them just in case of coming across something. So maybe it's in this particular case, you're looking for that lightweight sporter, something you can carry in the squirrel woods and it's not going to be too heavy, but yet it's accurate enough. And maybe for that particular rifle, you feel like a lightweight, um, three to nine by 33 scope is a great, um, you know, a great type of optic for that particular style rifle, because again, you're looking for something that's lightweight, very clear, and um, it's not something where you're going to be um, dialing um, for for longer hits. You're not going to be dialing on the, the elevation turret. You're basically setting or zeroing that that rifle with maybe a, a CCI mini mag or some sort of a hollow point bullet, and you basically are most of your shots are going to be 50 yards or, or less. And a lot of people will zero that scope for maybe 35 yards and pretty much know that anything within about 
40 to 45 yards or maybe even 50 yards if they're squirrel hunting. Um, a headshot is a headshot, and uh, they should they should not miss if they're shooting a squirrel in the head. And that's pretty much just that's what that rifle was uh, bought and built, put together for, was just to be the squirrel gun. And then the same person who has that rifle says, you know, I believe I would like to go out and shoot Steel Challenge. Well, with Steel Challenge, you know, it's, it's a combination of speed and accuracy with hitting the plates and the fastest time uh, with hits wins. Well, clearly, a bolt action, that's not going to do it. So now we need a semi-auto. But do we want to have a semi-auto that is built around maybe the 1022 platform? Or do we want a semi-auto that's built maybe around um, maybe the, the AR-15 platform, whether it's a Smith & Wesson M&P 1522, or maybe you're taking your favorite AR-15 and you're pulling the 5.56 upper or the 300 black upper or whatever caliber you have there, and you're replacing with a 22 long rifle upper. There's lots of scenarios that you can do there. So in those cases, whichever choice you, you go with, you know, there's there's a different rifle. And this rifle is not going to be set up with a scope, a magnified optic. Nope, it's going to be set up with a red dot. Maybe it's going to be, use a Seymour uh, red dot sight or um, maybe an aim point or a Vortex or a Trijicon. There's so many different brands out there that offer red dots. But again, this is a rifle that's being built just for that type of competition. Um, as a great scenario, um, I see a lot of people that will use the tactical solutions, the Taxol um, X5 models, which are ultra lightweight. A lot of them are in a Hogue overmold stock, but I also see a lot of people putting them into a very minimalist type chassis, uh, something to keep the weight down as light as possible or, um, or lightweight, maybe not as light as possible, but I do hear some people talk about there is such a thing as getting it too light, but you know, the goal there is you're building a gun for a game, if that makes sense. So now we have a, a, a rifle for hunting and things like that. We have a separate rifle that is a perfect fit for taking it to uh, a steel challenge type match. And maybe, just maybe, you're now thinking about going out and shooting some rimfire silhouette. Would your squirrel rifle work? Yes, it absolutely would. Would your rifle that's built for um, steel challenge work? Could it work? Yes. Is, is it fair to say that you could absolutely use either of those without any issues? Yes and no. The little red dot on your steel challenge gun is going to be a, a little bit difficult, uh, possibly to sort out a squirrel that's 75 or 80 feet up in an oak tree. You may have a little bit of a, an issue um, being able to to dial everything in just to get that, that little red dot. But most of the time is um, anywhere from four to six MOA. Um, it's going to be a little large. It's going to actually probably cover the squirrel's head. So it may be a little bit difficult to sort that out where a magnified optic might be a little bit better. Will the little three by nine um, sporter scope that you have on that squirrel rifle work in silhouette? Absolutely, I've seen it happen. Is it the most popular style scope? Not as much. 
I typically see more people with that are shooting uh, silhouette. Most of the shooters that I see at my local matches, anyway, they all tend to gravitate towards the, uh, the loophole 6.5 by 20 um, EFR scopes, or maybe a Night Force SHV, the 5 to 20. Uh, those scopes will focus, just like the loopholes, very close, but they're very clear optics. Um, the center dot or fine crosshairs of the loopholes and the the more reticle with the night force both work equally well uh, in terms of being able to zoom in on those silhouettes because a lot of people really do like to turn the, the magnification up even though you're shooting all hand they like to to increase that magnification to the point where they're essentially able to um, find that silhouette and there really isn't a lot of real estate showing up in the scope around that silhouette and uh, for some people that works very well others will say no thank you i would much rather have a lower magnification scope specifically because now i won't have to um, see the wobble from offhand as much but in either case you could make the squirrel rifle work you could make the steel challenge rifle work but are either of those a perfect fit for silhouette? Not really. A silhouette rifle typically will have a very high cheek piece as well, which uh, your sporter rifle will not, and uh, almost certainly your steel challenge rifle will not. So again, you can cross over, but in this particular scenario, we're building rifles for each game, each challenge. So let's move from those types of matches to more of a bench rest style match when well, a bench rest style match almost every bench rest rifle i've seen all have a very specific built bench rest style uh stock that they're they're using and those are typically going to have a, a a flat fore end it's typically going to be about three inches wide they're going to have a flat stock in the rear they're going to have no cheek piece on that stock and the stock itself is designed all around sitting on a one piece or a two piece rest. And again, perfectly flat stock. So um, those rifles are built from the ground up almost always as a single shot rifle. All of those have the, the bolt on the right, but the port, the loading port is on the left. Um, the rifles are almost always built off of a custom action and they're typically going to have a barrel length that will vary um, from anywhere from I think around 23 to about 26 inches and I'm, I'm not the expert on bench rest rifles so if I'm off if I'm off on those forgive me but those rifles are also going to have a barrel tuner on them to tune the rifle to the ammunition as much as you're tuning or finding the ammunition that suits the rifle those rifles are also going to fall into different weight classes. I believe the the weight classes go anywhere from seven and a half pounds for a fully scoped rifle, all the way up to thirteen and a half pounds. Again, for a fully scoped rifle, you're only shooting this this rifle at either fifty yards or fifty meters, and you're basically aiming for a bullseye that is about the diameter, or just a little bit larger than the diameter of a twenty-two caliber bullet. So when you're shooting that 
you need a very high um, high magnification optic. Um, some of the popular scopes that I see on Benchcrest rifles, those range anywhere from the Weaver T36, which from what I understand has recently been discontinued. Um, Loophold makes competition models in 35, 40, or 40 pow 45 power. Um, the Night Force Competition Series, they have a fixed 42 uh, magnification um, competition scope. They also have a 15 to 55 variable. Collis or Kalis has a 10 by 50 um, scope that is very popular in Benchrest. Vortex has a 10 by 60 that is very popular in uh, Rimfire Benchrest. Not to mention Cytron and a host of other companies that make optics that are almost exclusively designed for Benchrest. So, in a Benchrest match, will your squirrel rifle work? You could shoot it all day, but you're probably not going to be competitive. Will your Seal Challenge rifle work? No. I, I think it's all it's fair to say that, that we can all agree that the little red dot optic is not going to be um, advantageous, nor is the semi-auto action going to be advantageous for shooting targets that are literally the size of the bullet that's hitting them. Will your silhouette rifle work? Can it work? It's just like the squirrel rifle. Sure. Will you be competitive? Possibly, but given the fact that most silhouette rifles have a very narrow forend, um, and your squirrel rifles typically have somewhat of a narrow forend that aren't exactly designed to sit into a one-piece rest or a two-piece rest or any type of a front rest. If anything, maybe they're, they'll have a sling stud for using a bipod, but that's really about it. Um, you know, those aren't going to sit in a rest the same as a bench rest rifle. So now we've got a squirrel rifle. We have a steel challenge rifle. We also have a silhouette rifle, and we have a bench rest rifle. Well, let's say that your local club or a local club in the area is going to start offering NRL 22 matches. Well, I can tell you, I could not be happier if I could get one of those, you know, local to me, a 35, 40 minute, maybe an hour drive. Um, I would be ecstatic. Right now, that doesn't exist in my area. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I'm currently, I've been trying to work out my schedule to, to attend, um, the closest NRL match to me, which is almost four hours away, but, uh, it's been problematic to say the least to try to get my, my schedule to work out with when the matches are being held. But anyway, let's talk about the PRS matches. Can you shoot the PRS match with your squirrel rifle? Absolutely. You certainly can. Uh, depending on who made that rifle and the cost of the rifle and the cost of the optic, um, it's my understanding that can you know that will determine the classification that you're shooting in. But can you do it? Yes, you can. Will you be as competitive as someone who is is shooting a rifle that was built specifically for that type of shooting? Can you be competitive? Absolutely. Um, do they have an advantage because their rifle is built more specifically for that type of shooting? Yes, they do. Uh, I'm always going to be a firm believer that you can take an inexpensive rifle because 
Cost has a little bit less to do with it than lots of other things. But I'm a firm believer that you can take an inexpensive rifle, shooting the ammunition that it prefers with a great shooter, and you will win and outshoot uh, um, other people in a match with more expensive equipment and more, both rifles and scopes and possibly even shooting more expensive ammunition if the ammunition they're shooting is one that their rifle does not like. And if you have an above average shooter, that above average shooter shooting the, um, the lower cost equipment will beat the less experienced shooter that has better equipment but doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the skill, and is shooting ammunition their rifle doesn't prefer, that that experienced shooter will win every single time. That is 100% my opinion, but it is also what I've seen in every match I've shot in. Um, so let's talk about what kind of rifle makes a perfect you know fit for a PRS style match. Well, we've already talked about the squirrel rifle and the silhouette rifle will work, but not exactly ideal. Um, part of these types of matches is you're going to be dialing your elevation um, up and down throughout the match. And if you have a, a scope that is more designed around setting the crosshairs, uh, basically zeroing it or sighting it in at one range and leaving it, you're going to have a, a more of a, a challenge. So the squirrel rifle might be an issue if, if your scope isn't one that has um, some type of target turrets and Specifically, if it's one that you haven't um, adjusted it a lot to make sure that it actually tracks properly. And if you move it, um, you know, for example, 6 MOA, does it actually move the bullet impact 6 MOA? Or, you know, is it 1.9 mils? Does it move 1.9 mils? Or is it actually moving 2 and a quarter? You know, it's hard to say. Or 2 point, uh, not 2 and a quarter, but 2.5. So then let's talk about the type of, of uh, stock. Do you have a stock or a chassis on your sporter rifle, or your silhouette uh, rifle that is perfect for uh, shooting off of barricades and things like that? You can probably make that work. But again, you've got the challenge with your squirrel rifle and your silhouette rifle. Maybe the optic isn't exactly what you need. Is the steel challenge rifle going to, or going to work for PRS? When P, in NRL type matches, you're only shooting out to 100 yards. But again, the difference if you're shooting a red dot with no magnification and maybe a 4MOA or a 6MOA dot versus somebody that's right beside of you shooting a 7 to 35 Night Force attack R, they're going to be able to dial in very close on that target. They're going to be able to pinpoint um, exactly what they're shooting at and it can make all the difference in the world. Um, let's talk about the, again, the stocks and, and chassis. Maybe someone, um, you, your bench stretch rifle is, is basically, in my opinion, not very useful for anything outside of bench rest. Um, it's, it's typically not one you're going to carry in the woods. It's not one you're going to shoot steel challenge with. You're most likely not going to shoot it in any type of NRL or PRS type um, competitions because for one thing, most of those are going to have you shooting off a barricade, shooting off of a bipod, different things like that. And um, there is no method that I'm aware of, at least from the ones that I've seen, for a bench rest rifle to be able to mount a bipod short of drilling that stock and putting a rail on there. So 
you know, not exactly ideal for, for those scenarios. So just, you know, in this little simple, you know, analogy, we have one gentleman that has a sporter rifle that he shoots everything with. He spends a lot of time with it. He shoots hundreds of rounds a week, everything from squirrel hunting to competition. He has a scope that he knows well. He's checked it. It tracks well. And he's able to use it and use it well for all those different things. And then you have the other side of the coin where you have someone that has a steel challenge rifle, a rifle for hunting, a rifle for silhouette, a rifle for bench rest, and a rifle for PRS or NRL type matches. Five different rifles, five different sets of optics. Um, those rifles, by the way, you know, it's not, it's not difficult at all to spend um, thousands of dollars on each. And here's the thing. Who's right and who's wrong? This is my, my question to you. In my humble, yet I feel accurate opinion, nobody's wrong. It's all based off of the needs those people have and what they're looking to do. If you're looking to have one gun and your budget will allow you to take that rifle and put a great scope on it and be able to do all those different things, are you going to be competitive in all of them? You very well may be outside of Steel Challenge. You may be able to compete against lots of other people with one rifle. But on the flip side, you know, I'm never going to tell that person, man, you're crazy for only having one gun. I'm never going to do that because I don't know their scenario. I don't know what their goals are. I know a lot of people that shoot competition. They don't care in the least about competing with other people. They're just out to have fun. And basically to try to have a better score in this month's match than last month's match. And I, I, I love being around those people because they are happy. They're fun to be around. They're great folks. I also know other people who, if they don't beat everybody at that match that they're shooting at, they're miserable until the next match. And, you know, a lot of times it's very easy, especially if you're ultra competitive like that. It's very easy to justify spending more and more and more on equipment. And while I'm a firm believer that great equipment helps, it certainly doesn't hurt. That's for sure. But no matter how great your equipment is, if you don't spend time behind the trigger and practice, you'll get beat by someone who else who did. Across the board, 100% of the time, I'm a firm believer in this. So I give you this scenario as, again, the guy with one rifle, man, there is no harm, no foul on that, no issue with that whatsoever. It's, a perfect, it's the perfect scenario for a lot of folks. The guy who has six different rifles for six different types of competition and also has, you know, found a fondness for collecting other types of rifles and things like that. Again, no harm, no foul. It's, you know, nothing more than, than having um, specific tools for specific jobs, if you will. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I will never fault anyone for those things either because, again... The goals may be different. The scenario is different. Maybe that person has, um, like myself, has gotten away from shooting a lot of center fire and really just 
enjoys shooting rimfire and said, hey, you know what? I've got a bunch of centerfire rifles that I don't shoot anymore. I'm going to let those go and replace, you know, several rifles with one really good, high quality um, 